0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. uh, Thank you. This morning we get a glimpse into the storm and the rebel. And as Karin so beautifully read, uh, I'm going to be looking at what the downward spiral of a rebel is like. When we're going to read out of the New King James, out of, from verse 13 to 17, I want you to listen to the words down, see how often those words appear, because Jonah goes down to Joppa and we see the defiant rebel, then Jonah goes down in the hold of the ship and we see a sulking rebel, and then Jonah goes down into the deep ocean and we see the cornered rebel. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, Jonah 1 verses 3 to 17. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it um, uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners or... um, Uh, Or sailors were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He had laid down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come on, let's cast lots. So that we know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. That's like who uh, short straws. Let's, let's draw straws and see the reason why this is happening. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Then he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For they knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, "Then they said to What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. It's part of the reason I chose this version is I love the word Tempestuous. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, Yahweh, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with his innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jesus tells a parable of two sons uh, when Jesus is uh, walking with his disciples. And he says there were two sons, and the father came to the one son, and he said to the one son, I want you to go into the vineyard and, and work for me. And the one son says, sure, I will. Uh, and then he says to the other son, I want you to go into the vineyard and work for me. And then he, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, as it happens, the son that said he was going to do that ended up not doing it. And the son that said, I'm not going to do that, ended up going into the vineyard. And, and Jesus said, who do you think, which of these sons did the will of the Father? And uh, and the disciples and the Pharisees that he was talking to said, said obviously the, the second son, because he did as God had had asked him, um, and I'm, I'm definitely the second son. I, I'm definitely the one that if you ask me to do something, or if God asks me to do something, my default resting place is no. No, I'm not going to do that. But I, I end up doing those things because I understand who God is most of the time. The story of Jonah is not <laughs> that story. The story of Jonah is Jonah saying, I'm not going to do it. I will not do it. You can't make me do it. And there's the sense of God pursuing him to show him what it is that he is saying no to. I think one of the challenges we have is that we kind of wink at disobedience. We don't really think that disobedience is a sin. And yet scripture is very, very clear that disobedience is a sin. And it's a, it's a kind of sin that is not like a bullet. Like if you get shot with a bullet, there's a specific pain and it's intense Disobedience is kind of like swallowing little bits of poison all the time until eventually you don't realize but you're dying because you're not responding to God. Every act of disobedience has a storm attached. Every act of disobedience has a storm attached. That's how much God loves us. Now, this does not mean that every suffering and trial that we go through is related or d- Uh, directly connected to our sin. We know that trial and suffering is part of the Christian life. But I can say this, that every act of defiance and disobedience against God will have a storm attached. Why? Because disobedience takes us away from God and God wants to be close to us. And so the storm is the way that God pursues us. Now storms are funny things. Regardless of your faith, when you're in a storm, you call out. You call out. Not necessarily trying to figure out why this is happening. You just want the storm to stop. We see that in the sailors. The storm is happening and they're saying, everyone just cry out to your own God. We're not examining why the storm is happening. We're not asking God whether he's in this. God, is this a storm of disobedience? Is this just trial and suffering that has always been connected with a Christian life where you said, I will carry my cross? Jonah's doing none of that. He's not examining why the storm is happening. He's not not crying out to God. He is just in full rebellion. I think the other challenge with disobedience is that um, when something bad doesn't happen to us, when we are disobedient to God or where we consistently pursue sin or try not to disengage from habitual sin, it's kind of like we're waiting for the lightning And the lightning doesn't come. And so then we don't think it's that bad. The problem is storms build. There's a sense in which you can see the storm coming. And storms build. They're not immediate. And storms of disobedience are very much like that. Storms are designed to make us look up. They are beautiful. They are terrifying. They can be helpful and harmful. But they are designed to make us look up. Just like the sailors looked up and they cried out and they said, Why, God, help us. This God, that God, the other one. Everyone, cry out to your God. Make this stop. Let's be honest, though. For most of us, our disobedience is not as kind of direct as Jonah's. Not like, No, God, I'm not going to do this. There's more of a subtle politeness. Our, our disobedience is a little more sophisticated. Our disobedience is more like, you know, no names mentioned here, but let's say there's a, there's a specific chore that needs to be done at a specific time, and so the way that I can be disobedient and not do that chore is just to arrive late, okay? And then I, I can't do that, so I'm, I'm not being specifically disobedient. How many of you have been asked to help move somebody, right? Oh, yeah. Hey, Saturday morning, you want to move. How many of you know that there's the one guy that arrives when everything has been done? <laughs> right? It, it always happens. The one guy who eats as much pizza as the rest of you, but he was there and he carried three broomsticks, you know? And, and so he didn't wake up and think to himself, no, I don't want to help him. What is the least amount that I can get away with? And so our disobedience is a little... Oh. Thank you. Wow, I was yelling and couldn't understand why he got here. It's okay. I'm used to yelling and no one listening to me. That's fine. Snap, there we go. Tim Keller says this um, about sin. Sin hardens the conscience and locks you in a prison of your own defensiveness and rationalization and eats you up slowly from the inside. Sin hardens your conscience, locks you in the prison of your own defenses and rationalizations and eats you up slowly from the inside. And so this morning, we're going to look at what happens if we're disobedient to God. Quite simply, we run, we hide, or we get caught. And God ensures that we get caught. So let's look at the running. Jonah is not the hero that we sometimes see portrayed in children's Bibles. We find out that he is weak, suicidal, arrogant, judgmental, ungracious, and selfish. And yet God pursues him. His anger and self-pity have caused him to make some really poor choices. That's one of the things maybe we should ask ourselves is that in our anger and in our self-pity, what kind of choices are we making? Jonah's main problem was not just that God had asked him to do something specifically that he found abhorrent. And we covered that last week. But, but what was happening with Jonah and often what happens with us is that when God asks us to do something in the context of his word and we see it as limiting and we don't really understand it, we, we, we begin to refashion God in our own image. We're not just offended at what God has asked us to do or not to do. We're offended at the nature and character of God. And that's what's happening to Jonah here. We are so used to pacifying our own rebellious sinful responses with logic, with worldly wisdom, and the acceptance of cultural idols. The question we're asking is, is God really good? Does he really know what is good? Actually know we know better. And then we start the rebellion. The problem with a a proudly defined rebellion or rebellion of any nature is that it's costly, it's dangerous, and generally ineffective. Now look at verse 3. I don't know how many of you have seen this. Jonah went and he paid the fare. He paid the fare to run away from God. He actually gave money. Some commentators said he hired the ship. Whatever it takes, get me out of here. I don't care. I'm going to pay the money. I'm going to take a personal sacrificial cost in order not to do what God has called me to do. The irony is that we're very willing to make sacrifices to avoid what God is calling us to. And yet we just feel so, uh, that it's so abusive for God to ask us to sacrifice for His will. When we think of these things, what, what tickets are we buying? that will take us away from Nineveh. What areas in our lives are we willing to sacrifice in the area of health and education and career and relationships? There are costs that we pay so that we can fulfill our will. The question is, are we paying in order to get away from God's will? I, um, I, I made uh, the horrible choice to go shopping with my girls. It was during the summer. It was incredibly hot. Karin... Kiona and Fallon were there and Aaron and I were there and I hit my limit of about 22 minutes of shopping and I didn't know what to do because we, we came in one car and, um, and, and I usually like those big department stores where you can go sit in a couch and you can go read and they can kind of do their own thing and there was no couch and uh, we had decided that we were actually going to go to Lucille's in order to have dinner And so I thought to myself, you know what? I am so done with this. I'm just going to walk to Lucille's. So um, I decided to get out and walk to Lucille's, and it was 105 degrees. So I'm like, no, this is not happening. I grab my phone, and I call Uber. And I paid for an Uber to get out of shopping with my girls. Guess who came with me? Aaron. Aaron. Aaron's like, I'm done. I'm, I'm with you. But we. it's interesting that I did not see that as a sacrifice at all. I was like, you want to charge me surge rates? Charge me surge rates. You want to strap me to the hood of this car? That's fine. Anything is better than what I'm experiencing in there. And so Jonah is saying, whatever the cost, whatever I need to pay in order to get away from this, I'm going to pay. And we are often very, very similar. Some of us... We, we kind of do the risk-reward game. So Jonah was aware, even in those days, that there was a risk to sea travel. Uh, I mean, sea travel was not the safe thing that it is now, although now you're going to get sick from something. But I guess, you know, in, in those days, your ship would go down. There, there were a number of reasons not to travel on a ship. We know that Jonah must have known that God was going to do something, but I'm pretty sure he never expected for a storm and a massive big fish and to be in there for three days. Sometimes we kind of we become bookies, right? We say, "I know that this is what God wants me to do, um, but I want to do this. The chances are kind of two to one that I won't get caught. Um, maybe the odds are more in my favor. So this act of disobedience, yeah." I think I'm going to do that. Many of you will know that one of the ways that I operate in disobedience is, is with the speed limit, and um, and so I like to get to a place the quickest that I can get to a place in order to start my vacation. My vacation doesn't start when you're in the car. Those of you that say you've a, that's it's wrong, I'm sorry, it's just wrong. You know, your vacation starts when you get to the place that you're vacationing, um, and so my. My kind of risk management is is this. When we budget for our vacations, I budget $300 for speeding fines. Because the chances of me getting caught speeding are lower. And then even if I do get caught speeding, I've budgeted that money for the speeding fine. Um, And if we don't get caught, we just get to do something fun with that money. Now, a lot of you are sitting there thinking, I can't believe I'm hearing this, right? Okay. But think in your lives where God is calling you to do something. That is difficult, and that is hard. And and you play the game of like, well, how best can I maneuver this to minimize the risk and not do what He's called me to do? Not respond in the way that He's called me to respond. The lie that we believe about God is that He's not good, right? Right? I need to ensure my own happiness. What about the sulking rebel who's tired and hopeless? A rebellion against God drains your soul. Maybe he's asleep because there's grief or there's weariness or confusion. And maybe for us, there, there is a sense. I'm not, I'm not talking about a physical tiredness where many of us are experiencing this right now. I'm talking about a weariness that drains your soul because you know that you are doing or not doing something that God has called you to do. And a great wind arose. If we're weary, if we feel like our souls are drained, if we feel like all we want to do is escape and sleep, maybe the question we've got to ask is, what what am I running away from? What am I hiding? What am I hoping no one finds out about? The thing is, God wants to bring us into freedom, and freedom is not skulking in the bottom of the ship, sleeping, hoping this will pass. God's kindness is in the storm. The lie we believe about God is that He's not great, and He's not able to ensure my happiness. He's not able to satisfy, so we just give up. The problem with this kind of rebellion is that it's, it's selfish. Verse nine, verse 9 shows us very, very clearly that our actions impact others. Our decisions impact others. Our attitudes impact others. So he said to them, after they're asking these questions, he says, I am a Hebrew. So there, last week, we covered this whole sense of, of this, this nationalism that Jonah was, was dealing with, this pride. And he starts by defending himself, by saying, I am a Hebrew. In other words, you are not. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Wait. Do Do you? Do you? who made the sea and the dry land, then why are you running away from the God who made the sea and the dry land? None of what you're saying makes sense. Christian, none of what you're saying makes sense. The words that you speak and the actions that you take don't make sense. And so, <laughs> so their response, people that don't have a relationship with God, when we speak a certain way and act a different way, is this, they were exceedingly afraid and say, why have you done this? You've placed us in danger. Your actions have placed us in danger. We did not anger your God. You did. You brought this anger on us by not doing what he asked you to do. When we run away and, or actively oppose God through sin, there are costs that those around us pay. If you're a husband, you know this. If you're in sin, there is a cost that your family will pay. If you're a leader in business, you know this. If you're in a relational circle, you know this. Sin is not isolated to you. It affects those around you, and they end up paying a cost. Just like the sailors were paying a massive cost. We are trained by our culture not to think this way. We're trained by a culture to think, this is my decision, I'm going to make it. It doesn't really matter how it impacts the lives of others. Others pay the price for our disobedience. I mean... They were losing their ship. They had thrown their cargo overboard. They were doing everything they could to save this, and Jonah is asleep. So if our action impacts others, certainly our inaction impacts them. The way we respond to God's commands, it's it's not a private thing. It screams loudly to a watching world that is in the midst of a storm wondering why this is happening. What do you mean, O sleeper? Literally, WTH, what are you doing? How could you possibly be sleeping during this time? Is that what the world is asking us? What are you doing? Jonah is neither praying, he's neither engaging spiritually, and he's not rowing, and he's not helping to throw the stuff overboard. He's doing nothing. At least if Jonah was like, okay, this is a bad situation, I'm a prophet. I'm not used to doing all these muscular things, but I can at least help kind of lift something out of the ship. Maybe just give me an oar and I can help row. He's not doing anything. Maybe the challenge for us church is that we need to ask ourselves the question, because we're in the same boat. We need to ask ourselves the question, am I at least engaging spiritually? Am I at least engaging practically? I mean, ultimately we should be doing both, but the picture here is that he was doing none of that. Why? It's hard To engage spiritually when you're in active disobedience. I get that. I get that. Sitting in the bottom of the ship, hoping nobody sees you, no one knows what you've done, no one knows what you're doing. It's really hard to actually cry out to God. That's why we talk about coming honestly before God. It's almost like we're afraid we're going to surprise Him. You'd be like, whoa, Nick, you know, I was ready for everything but what you just shared with me about your attitude towards that person, I just, I don't know that I can handle it. It's ridiculous for us to think like that. But sometimes when we're in the bottom of the ship and when we're sleeping, that makes sense. It's the unbelieving sailors. Man, this affected me deeply. It's the unbelieving sailors that are working for the common good. They are trying to save the ship and all the lives on board. They're saying, come on, help us. There has to be a way that we can do this. The indictment is that the people that God has called us to proclaim his mercy to are the ones that are telling us, arise, sleeper. Arise. Man. We look around in our spheres, and the question we've got to ask is, do we see unbelievers that are more focused on the preservation of life and on the common good than we are? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I I, I said last week, the best way to love someone is to lead them in an act of faith in Jesus Christ, but it's not the only way to love someone. And so that's the context into which I'm saying this. God is so kind that even in this, He ensures that Jonah is forced into a conversation about God, faith, and consequences. That's how kind God is. And not kind necessarily to Jonah. That's how kind God is to the sailors. He's saying, in the midst of all this disobedience, I'm going to make sure that you know who God is and where your lifeline is, even through a disobedient prophet. Jonah fled because he didn't want to work for the good of all of God's people, for the enemies of God. He wanted to exclusively serve the interests of his tribe. He was only interested in being part of his faith community and not part of the human community. And what it shows us when he's in the boat, when the storm batters the boat of our world, we're in the same boat. It's the same wind, it's the same storm, and yet it's a God that we have relationship with that we can cry out to and say, God, give us the strength to participate in the common good. Give us the strength to proclaim your kindness the way in which you have called us to. The lie that we believe here is that God is not fair. So we've got to even the field. But like I said, all rebels eventually become the cornered rebel. And we'll see a pattern here that remorse is not repentance. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. What's missing there? Guys, I am so sorry that I brought this upon you. You were innocent doing your job. It's my disobedience that has led that. God, I am so sorry that I did not listen to you. You and your kindness have pursued me. He's remorseful and he's recognized that this is about him the storm of God is intended to bring us to repentance, but it only leads Jonah to remorse. And that's one of the challenges that we have as Christ followers is that when the storm of God comes, what happens is, is that we, we become remorseful. We, we say, okay, I, I'm sorry. Sometimes we're actually quite proud about this. Sometimes we say, well, like I will say, okay, who did this? There isn't an immediate response in terms of who did this. The, the response is like, well, what's gonna happen to the person who did that? So there isn't a sense of honesty. There's a sense of like, okay, well, what, what is the outcome going to be? If if I'm going to fully confess, I, I want to know, I'm gonna hedge my bets, you know, I'm gonna be a bookie and find out what is gonna happen to this person. Showing a sense of deep kind of emotional angst, crying. You know, the Bible talks about crying, you know, tearing your, your clothes, lying in, in sackcloth, gnashing of teeth. That's not what God wants. It's not proof of repentance. Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, and Paul tells us that we are to bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, repentance is something that moves beyond an emotional state. Bear fruit worthy of Repentance. Acknowledging you did something wrong is not repentance. Jonah did that. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. He acknowledged that he did something wrong. We we can do this in a proud way, or we can do this in kind of a a falsely humble way. You know, yeah, I did that. So what? What are you going to do about it? Or yes, I I did that. With, With no sense of repentance. Guys, this is what I want to say, that the key thing, remorse in us is designed for us to avoid punishment. Repentance is designed by God to restore our relationship. And so the problem is we, we, want, we are remorseful because we don't want to be punished. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want this act to ruin our lives, our families' lives. That, that's what remorse is. But repentance is saying, but God... I've broken relationship with this person. I've broken relationship with you. I I want to restore that. Thank you for the storm you sent after me. For your kindness leads me not to remorse, but to repentance. We believe the lie that God's storm is a punishment storm rather than a storm of God's kindness. What do we do with this? or well, for the Jonahs amongst us, for those that already follow Jesus. I think what we've got to do is, is, is look into our hearts and see emotionally how we connect with us. Now, I've said, I've said that emotions are great travel companions, but they're terrible leaders. I've also said that, that emotions are like the warning light on your dashboard. It's like the engine light comes on. And, and your car isn't fixed if the engine light comes off, if you manage to just bang it hard enough for that to go away. No, it means, hey, there's something wrong. You should probably check deeper. You should probably get your hands a little dirty. And so sometimes the way in which we respond emotionally to these are clues in terms of what's, what's happening. God's commands are not suggestions. We've been given as Christ followers command. Love God, love each other, love your neighbor, proclaim the gospel in the way in which you speak, and the way in which you act. Those are commands, they're not suggestions. More specifically for us as Mercy Commons, we've said in a fourfold way we understand that we are to revel in the mercy of God, proclaim the mercy of God, display the mercy of God in the way in which we live and interact with our world and participate in acts of mercy for the common good. Am I angry or frustrated? And am I going to exercise whatever control I think I can exercise Right now? Am I the defiant rebel that's going to say, No, I'm going to do it my way? Or am I just tired and confused, hiding in the ship, in the midst of the storm, waiting for it to pass? Maybe, most of us, we're just indifferent. We're indifferent to the sailors that are caught in the midst of the storm of our disobedience. Why is the storm there? Because Jonah refused to preach the grace of God to people he thought were beyond the grace of God. Are we indifferent to people that we think are beyond the grace of God? Or Maybe we are in the midst of a storm and all we want to do is go away. And so we're remorseful but not repentant. I think many of us believe this. God, if I fully surrender to your will and purpose, that you will not be committed to my joy. If I I fully surrender to your will and purpose, that God is not committed to my joy. Friends, how much more committed would God be to your joy and your happiness and, and your fulfillment than someone that chose to substitute himself on your behalf? This is not a God that you can't trust. This is a God that has proven his trustworthiness and his faithfulness. God is pursuing you in the midst of that storm. For those of us that are maybe not yet followers of Christ, those of us that are in a storm, those of us that are, that are sailors, that are maybe asking questions like, call out to your God, why is this happening Look at what happened here in verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us his innocent blood. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased. And then they did three things. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice, and they made vows. Now when you find yourself in a storm, you're calling out, To any God, in some vain hope. And just like the sailors were informed that they were in danger because of Jonah's sin, probably the reality and unfairness in your own mind is that you're in danger because of the sin of Adam. The fall of Adam meant that every single human being was now in a state of brokenness that needed to be redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus. So in a sense, Jonah's disobedience that led to the storm is the reason why we are all in the storm because of Adams, Adamson that led to the first storm. Maybe you've tried in your own strength in the midst of the storm and you're hurling cargo overboard. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do these bad things anymore. You know, because I, I, I want to be close to God and so I'm going to stop these bad habits. I'm going to throw them out. Or now I want to be closer to God and so I'm going to work hard. To get back to him. And, and, and what does it say? They rowed hard to get back to the land, but they could not. There is no amount of rowing to land that will ever calm the storm. It doesn't matter how pure your motive is. Your work to get to God will never get you there. It's a simple act of faith. To say, God, I surrender. Not I give up. I surrender to your will and to your purpose. It's interesting that they knew that there was a price that needed to be paid. They, they said, okay, so what do we need to do to you in order for this to stop? And so the picture of, of Jonah and Jesus is, is a similar picture. We know that there's a price to be paid. We, we know that the storm of our own sinfulness and rebellion and autonomy and pain can't go away unless that sin is paid for. And whereas Jonah was unwilling to pay it initially. Why do I know that? Because they had to cast lots. If he had come to his senses, he would have said, you know what, guys, let me just, it was me. All of this is about me. No, they cast lots. It fell upon Jonah and then Jonah responded. Let, Let me say this. Be careful if you're hiding and you're saying, well, if this displeases God, let him reveal it. He will reveal it. We went away as elders this weekend, and one of the scriptures we talked about was no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bed. And most of us think that's in the context of evangelism, but actually it, Jesus continues as you, you you put it on a lampstand. Why? So that everything that is in the darkness will be revealed. It's God's kindness. His light coming into the dark places of our soul is His kindness. His storm pursuing His rebels is His kindness. Jesus wasn't found out. Jesus was constantly and consistently telling people that this is why He's come. He's come to pay the price so that we could be reunited with our Creator, so that our brokenness could be dealt with. I mean, even the sailors... When they're told of the solution that is so brutal and counterintuitive, didn't want to do this. No, there has to be another way. Don't says, it's, it's because of me. Throw me overboard. And they say, no, we're going to row. And you might be there and you're thinking, I don't understand. This is, this is brutal. This borders on abuse. What do you mean that my sins can be forgiven and I can have a relationship with God because some man died 2,000 years ago because that wasn't a man? Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man, sacrificing himself on our behalf. The price that needed to be paid, he paid in full so that your storm could be over. Don't let us perish for one man's life. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. One man's life meant that many of us get to live in freedom. Guys, you can come up here. It's interesting that the sailors asked God for forgiveness in terms of what they did. God, God, forgive us for what we're about to do. We're going we're gonna to throw this man overboard. It, it's brutal. It's counterintuitive. I don't really understand it. But, but right now, this is what we're doing because this is what he said. And they say, and they say forgive us. Do not hold O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Jonah was not innocent. Jesus was innocent. Jonah was found out. Jesus was not. Jesus came for the purpose of being sacrificed. When they asked for forgiveness for the what they perceive to be the death of one man that would save many, Jesus is on the cross asking forgiveness for us, the man that is perishing on our behalf. So I want to ask you in the context of your storm, if you're you're a Christ follower, I want to ask you, are we asleep? Are we running away? Are we remorseful and not repentant? Are we in a place where the world is looking at us and saying, we are rowing, we are trying, why aren't you at least praying? If you're new to all of this and you want to stop rowing in your own strength and throwing out the cargo of all the sin in your life, Jesus is able to do that. Not able, willing. That's why he came. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the storms that you send our lives that remind us that we need to look up. Thank you for the uncertainty that it creates because we are reminded that you are solid and sure. Thank you that it gives us an opportunity to exercise the grace that we've received in prayer and in action. Thank you that it reminds us that you pursue us. That even if we have been defiantly rebellious, you pursue us. Even if we've just given up and are just asleep, you pursue us. Even if we have no idea what this is all about, and we're just a sailor on a boat trying to do mind our own business, you pursue us. You, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the one that pursues us with an uncommon mercy. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would minister to your children. And I also wanna pray that if there are those that need to come and say, me, I wanna stop rowing. I wanna stop calling out to any God that I have no relationship with. Jesus, I want to pray you'd make yourself real today. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.